You're listening to From Ferndafi Ligo News here on Waterberg Stereo. Program is sponsored by David and Williams Brokers here in uh, Rustenburg. Two labor law related issues that we will be dealing with today in the program. Tandeka Panza will firstly talk to us about the liability of employers for their employees' actions online. And then secondly, Esmeri McCallaghan will explain to us the legal position in, position in respect of employers' access to private emails of the employees on their work computer. So both, I think, uh, are very important uh, uh, legal principles to be aware of as an employer or employee. So uh, please stay tuned. And please send us your questions, your comments to falker at vvd.co.za. That's V-O-L-K-E-R at VVD for von Feldenduffy.co.za. My name is Volker Kruger, and I have uh, Tondekam Panza also from von Feldenduffy here with me to talk about employers' liability for their employees' actions online, something that uh, obviously happens a lot these days, that employees have to spend time online to do their work. Now, obviously, they might do some uh, inappropriate things online. And now the big question is, can the employers be held vicariously liable for their employees' actions? Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Tandeka. Thank you for having me here, Volker. Good day to you and to the listeners at home. Yeah, I see that you looked into um, other parts of the world, I think the UK specifically, and, and maybe you can first touch on that. How do they deal with companies' liabilities or employers' liabilities over there in the UK, according to your information. Obviously, we're not experts for the UK. And then maybe also touch on the uh, position here in South Africa. But let's start with the UK. What, what did you manage to find out there? Volker, I think the position in the UK is better described by a scenario or a case, rather, that was before the courts in the UK. Uh, in this matter, we have a matter where Mr. Andrew Skelton, who was employed as a senior IT auditor for a company by the name of Morrison's, he was arrested and he was charged with an offence under the Computer Misuse Act and what is also known as the Data Protection Act in the, U in the UK. Now, basically, what Skelton had done is he had posted a file containing personal information of 99,000 employees of the defendant being the employer on a file sharing website. Now, the employer, Morrison's, was later alerted to the disclosure and within a few hours, they had taken steps to ensure that the website of the personal information had been taken down. But however, claimants sought, sought the court to hold Morrison's being the employer vicariously liable under sections four, four, uh, four subsection four of the DPA Act at common law for misuse of private information and for breach of confidence. Now, just for, for us who are not familiar with the laws of the UK, the said section reads as follows verbatim. Subject to subsection 27, it shall be the duty of a data controller to comply with the data protection principles in relation to all personal data with respect to which he is the data controller. So before the court was basically the question as who is the data controller in this context? And the judge in this matter continued to say that the DPA Act imposes liability on a data controller, not only for those breaches 
it has authorized or facilitated, but also for those it has neither facilitated nor authorized. And he further goes on to say that if a corporation or an individual in this context is to be liable for breaches which it is in no sense responsible for either authorizing or requiring same to be conducted, but which are committed by employees acting in contravention of its wishes, that liability may be established vicariously still, but not directly. And therefore, in his verdict, the judge rejected the argument that the DPA Act does not hold um, the employer being Morrison's vicariously liable in actions for misuse of private information or breach of confidentiality. So this is a case where we see that the courts did find the employer to be vicariously liable for the breaches of the employees. Okay. Uh, in South Africa, how do you think would the courts here deal with that? Well, I would argue that the position is quite similar in South Africa. Uh, let me first speak in relation to the Poppy Act. Now, we know that in, in 2013, um, South Africa enacted the Protection of Personal Information Act, also known as the Poppy Act, and it basically aims to protect personal data and holding liable parties responsible for breaching data protection provisions. Now, in terms of the Poppy Act, uh, the, the Act says that the regulator may institute a civil action for damages in court having jurisdiction against a responsible responsible party, rather, for breach of any provisions of this act, whether or not there is intent or negligence on the part of the responsible party. Now, some um, legal academics in our country have argued that the term responsible party in terms of the act as defined by the act is undoubtedly a synonym for employer in our context. This is undisputably an accurate definition for responsible party, which rightly emulates the court's um, approach in the Morrison's case as discussed above. So from this perspective, employees remain vulnerable to lawyers who may exploit this new phenomenon to the detriment of employers' businesses. And another uh, statutory provision that we should take note of uh, with regards to vicarious liability is the Schools the, the, the schools Act, what is known as the Schools Act. Uh, there's a section in terms of Section 60 of the same act that says that the state is liable for any intellectual or contractual damage or loss caused as a result of any act or remission in connection with, with any school activity conducted by a public school. Although the act does not define any school activity, the term should be understood to extend to activities performed in cyberspace whether through social media accounts or emails. And accordingly, where there is no explicit statutory provision providing for vicarious liability, we will know that the common law doctrine of vicarious liability would apply. Now, understood in the context of cyberspace or this um, instance, this means that where an employee posts defamatory statements or hate speech through his social media account, which may give rise to intellectual claims in the course and scope of, of his employment, the employer can be held vicariously liable. So we would argue that the position in South Africa is very similar to that of the UK. Vicarious liability, for the sake of the listeners, as I understand it, is basically the faultless liability of an employer for the actions of his employee. So if you sue an employer for any, for example, delictual or other claim of uh, against the employee, it basically means that you don't have to prove that the employer was negligent or that uh, there was wrongful conduct on the side of the employer. The employer is automatically, just because he is the employer of the employee who, who, who was responsible for the unlawful action, liable for that action. Eh? So that's basically what vicarious liability uh, means, I, 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 would, uh, I would argue. So uh, yeah, obviously this has far-reaching consequences for employers. Um, so, so 
Yeah, that's basically um, the implications of the Poppy Act, which I think a lot of our listeners have heard of here in South Africa. Um, so, so according to you, the position is actually similar as the one uh, uh, that is followed in the UK based on that information that we have on that one case. Indeed so, Volker, I would argue so. Yeah. So so what advice, what uh, recommendations do you have for um, for uh, employers and employees to minimize their exposure? What can they do? Just focus, just let me um, touch still on the Poppy Act. Um, it's also important that even in terms of the Act where they say responsible party, uh, the, the interpretation carries with it harsh penalties in the form of a fine or imprisonment for a period not exceeding 10 years as provided by Section 107 of the Act. Um, so how this translates is that while a company may be fined, its responsible employee may still serve up to 10 years in prison on the same set of facts. Uh, so it's also very important to note that um, the, the, the company won't be won't be um, um, penalized in isolation. Uh, the employee will still also face certain sanctions um, in line that the regulator made him fit. Um, but yeah, in terms of recommendations that it would give for employers to uh, to minimize exposure, firstly, I think that they would have firstly have to consider researching customs practice by other companies or corporations in protecting personal and organizational data and regulating use of electron electronic facilities, more especially at work. Uh, secondly, would also consider incorporating the findings of the same research and putting those findings in the code of conduct of the of the of the of the company. Um, thirdly, companies should consider monitoring any disruptive incoming and outgoing correspondences and behavior by employees and respond immediately thereto. However, we must remember that they should do so without violating the rights to the employee's privacy. Uh, I would also say that they should establish a culture of cybersecurity, a strict work-related use of electronic facilities by educating employees on the value of your company's data and the failure to utilize electronics for employment responsibilities. And lastly, I would argue that they should ensure strict adherence to provisions of the Poppy Act and other relevant provisions, providing recourse for these scenarios of vicarious liability. All right. So, yeah, train your employees. Uh, make sure that you have a good IT manager or company that provides you with, with proper um, IT services to, to have a good firewall, etc., so that your systems can't be hacked because that might also lead to liability in terms of the Poppy Act. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, good advice. Thank you, Tandika. Thank you, Volker. My name is Volker Kruger from the Fair Attorneys, and I asked Ismarie McKellegan to join us today to uh, explain uh, to us what the outcome is of a court case on whether an employer may access private emails of his employees on their work computer. Certainly something that I think a lot of listeners will be curious about whether they are employers or employees. I think that's an interesting question. In other words, uh, can an employer access the private emails of his employees on their work complete, uh, computer? Um, uh, Ismari. Good afternoon, Fulker and listeners. Yes, it is a very interesting topic, and I, I also think that it's sometimes a controversial topic um, to discuss. Um, there's various different factors that can influence this answer, but it was interesting to see how the judge reasoned in this particular case. Okay. And what was the, the outcome? Uh, uh, who won the case? 
So in this particular case, what happened is that three employees resigned. It was allegedly a coordinated resignation. And um, after they resigned, but while they were still um, completing their notice period, they were told to uh, leave the premises. They were no longer able to access their computers after they returned from lunch. And it came out during the court case, there was an interdict that was brought against them uh, to safeguard certain um, confidential information from uh, their employers, which they alleged the employees stole. But it came out during this um, the evidence in this case that the employer used um, personal emails on their personal email account to support their application. Um, now, what I mean with this is the employers looked at their, for example, their Gmail account, their Dropbox account, um, those type of personal accounts that was open on their work computer. Uh, downloaded various uh, personal emails and used that in support of their application. Importantly, uh, the employer also used certain emails that was exchanged between the employees and their attorneys um, after legal action was instituted in support of, of their case, which obviously also violated their right to attorney-client privilege. And, and that's a very serious violation of someone's right. But the court ultimately found that um, looking at the employer employee's personal emails on their personal email account, their Dropbox account, um, etc., con- uh, violated their right to privacy. It violated... Um, the RECA Act, which is um, the act which regulates what communication might may be intercepted, and it also violated their right to uh, attorney-client privilege, and therefore the court struck out um, anything that referred to these emails in the application, and ultimately the application failed. All right. Um, so what are the exceptions to this rule? When might the employer indeed get access to those emails of the employee? There is certain exceptions, as you mentioned now, and it seems as though the court didn't really consider these exceptions in this particular case. Now, I've briefly mentioned the RICA Act. The RICA Act in Section 2 contains a general prohibition on any interception of communication, the RICA Act, however, contains several grounds for exception, uh, uh, several exception grounds in which you can actually uh, intercept or monitor communication. Now, for purposes of an employer and employee relationship, only certain of these grounds might be applicable. For example, uh, you may intercept or monitor communication if you have the prior written consent of your employee. That will be, for example, when you have an IT policy in place in which the employee gave the consent that their personal email accounts may be accessed if they use it on the work computer. Um, You may also then uh, monitor, intercept or look at uh, these emails if you have the consent of any of the parties to the communication. For example, if the employer is um, a party to this communication or if the um, outside sender or receiver has given you consent or is a party to this communication, etc. 
Um, and then, of course, there's another exception where you may intercept or monitor communication when it is in the carrying on of your business or it relates to your business. But there's several other um, hoops that you will have to jump through for it to count as an exception on that ground. I think it's also important for people to make the distinguish uh, the distinction between personal emails on your work email account and personal emails on your personal email account. Um, for example, your work email account typically belongs to your employer. It is their property. And in most cases, you will also see in your employment contract or your IT policy, it, it, it will be cited there that it, the email belongs to your employer and they may at any time look at those emails. So in order to protect your own privacy, do not use the work email account for personal emails. Um, if, however, you um, have your personal email account open on your work computer, um, in light of this case, the court said your private email account remains private. It cannot just be accessed um, by your employer. Okay. So even if it's a personal email, if it's in, in your work account, um, the employer may access it? Yes. Yes. What about software that you get that uh, takes screenshots of an employee's uh, PC on and in regular intervals? Um, which can be used to check up on those employees and to see whether they are working or uh, doing uh, private stuff during working hours. What do you think? Would, would that be in order? I would think so. I think it's a very debatable question, and I think we can debate this for much longer than this podca podcast is with, because as with anything else, you have to balance your right to privacy versus that infringement on your privacy, the purpose of that infringement on your privacy. It goes back to, first of all, whether your consent is given, whether your employee knows about this. It's easy to say, that you shouldn't be um, opening any personal items on your computer, so there shouldn't be anything that you're hiding. But let's take a simple example. What if you open your payslip when you get it every month via email? That's still confidential information. Now your IT manager is taking screenshots of your what you are doing on your computer and your IT manager now is able to see everybody's salary, for example. So I think that's a very debatable point. But it, again, it, I think it comes down to what does your employment and your IT policy say? How far can you go? I know that your IT policy can, for example, say certain personal things are permitted on a work computer within reason, um, or other policies will say no personal um, work will be permitted on your uh, on your computer and it also will specifically say that your employer is entitled to do inspections on your computer or whatever but i think that's a very fine line to walk even if there's written consent to access your computer for example if it's something like a payslip which is confidential but is not necessarily private matters that you're dealing with in work hours I think that's a very debatable point about how far can you go. So advice to employers, I guess, would be to make sure that your policy indeed contains the consent of your employees uh, to access those 
uh, emails, etc. No? Yes, I think it's very important that you have a proper policy in place that sets out exactly what you can and cannot do. And it's also important that you don't just give this policy to people and say, sign it. I think it's important that you explain to them um, what you will be doing, what you can do, and so that they know um, are they giving informed consent or not. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.